Section 11 of Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharfs, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 21, In a New Line. Ten dollars, said Ben to himself with exultation. That's pretty good pay for a few hours in the station house. I'd like to board there a week on the same terms. Ben's capital now amounted to $11, but of this sum he decided to retain $1 as a reserve to fall back upon in case of need. The $10 he determined to deposit at once in a savings bank. He accordingly bent his steps toward one in the course of the forenoon. The business was quickly transacted, and Ben left the building with a bank book containing an entry of his first deposit. This was a very good beginning, so Ben thought. $50, as he had estimated, would enable him to carry out the plan which he proposed and he had already one-fifth of the sum. But the accumulation of the other forty dollars would no doubt take him a considerable time. The business of a baggage smasher, as Ben knew from experience, is precarious, the amount of gains depending partly upon luck. He had sometimes haunted the steamboat landings for hours without obtaining a single job. Now that he was anxious to get on, he felt this to be an objection. He began to consider whether there was any way of adding to his income. After considerable thought, he decided to buy a supply of weekly papers, which he could sell while waiting for a job. One advantage in selecting weekly papers rather than daily was this, that the latter must be sold within a few hours, or they prove a dead loss. A daily paper of yesterday is as unsaleable as last year's almanac. As Ben was liable to be interrupted in his paper business at any time by a chance to carry luggage, it was an important consideration to have a stock which would remain fresh for a few days. This idea impressed Ben so favorably that he determined to act upon it at once, and considering where he should go for his supply of papers, he thought of a Broadway newsstand, which he frequently had occasion to pass. On reaching it, he said to the proprietor, Where do you buy your papers? What do you want to know for? I thought maybe I'd go into the business. You don't think of setting up a stand, do you? asked the man with a significant glance at Ben's ragged attire. No, said Ben. I haven't got capital enough for that, unless you'll sell out for 50 cents. I suppose you want a few to carry around and sell? Yes. Where do you think of going with them? Down to the wharves. I'm a baggage smasher, and I thought I might make something by selling papers when I hadn't any baggage to carry. I get my papers from the American News Company on Nassau Street. I know the place well enough. What papers do you think I could sell best? asked Ben. The picture papers go off as fast as any, said the street dealer. But I'll tell you what, my lad, maybe I can make an arrangement for you to sell papers for me. I don't think I'd like to stand here all day, said Ben, supposing the other to mean to engage him to tend the stand. I don't mean that. Well, said Ben, I'm open to an offer, as the old maid of sixty told a feller that called to see her. I'll tell you what I mean. I'll give you a bundle of papers every morning to take with you. You will sell what you can and bring back the rest at night. I like that, said Ben with satisfaction. But how much will I get? It will depend on the price of the papers. Harper's Weekly and Frank Leslie sell for 10 cents. I will allow you 2 cents on each of these. On the Ledger and Weekly and other papers of that price, I will allow 1 cent. You'd make rather more if you bought them yourself, but you might have them left on your hands. That's so, said Ben. Did you ever sell papers? I used to sell the morning and evening papers before I went to baggage smashing. Then you know something about the business. When do you want to begin? Right off. Very well, I will make you up a bundle of a dozen papers to begin on. I'll put in three each of the illustrated papers and fill up with the story papers. All right, mister, you know better than I what people will buy. 
The dealer began to collect the papers, but paused in the middle of his task and looked doubtfully at our hero. Well, what's up? asked Ben, observing his hesitation. How do I know but you'll sell the papers and keep the money yourself, said the dealer. That's so, said Ben. I never thought of that. That wouldn't be very profitable for me, you see. I'll bring back the money or the papers, said Ben. You needn't be afraid. Very likely you would, but how am I to know that? So you don't want to trust me, said Ben, rather disappointed. Have you got any money? Yes. Very well. You can leave enough with me to secure me against loss, and I will give you the papers. How much will that be? After a little thought, the dealer answered, 75 cents. He had some doubt whether Ben had so much, but our hero quickly set his doubts at rest by drawing out his two half dollars and demanding a quarter and change. The sight of this money reassured the dealer. Ben's ragged clothes had led him to doubt his financial soundness, but the discovery that he was a capitalist to the extent of a dollar gave him considerable more respect for him. A dollar may not be a very large sum. I hope that to you, my young reader, it is a very small one, and that you have never been embarrassed for the want of it. But it is enough to lift a ragged street boy from the position of a penniless vagabond to that of a thrifty capitalist. After seeing it, the dealer would almost have felt safe in trusting Ben with the papers without demanding a deposit of their value. Still, it was better and safer to require a deposit, and he therefore took the dollar from Ben, returning 25 cents in change. This preliminary matter settled, he made up the parcel of papers. There they are, he said. If you're smart, you can sell them all before night. I hope so, said Ben. With the papers under his arm, Ben made his way westward to the Cortland Street Ferry, which was a favorite place of resort with him. He did not have long to wait for his first customer. As he was walking down Cortland Street, he met a gentleman whose attention seemed attracted by the papers he carried. What papers have you got there, my lad? he inquired. Harper's Weekly, Frank Leslie Ledger Weekly, repeated Ben glibly, adding the names of the other papers in his parcel. Give me the two picture papers, said the gentleman. Twenty cents, I suppose. Yes, said Ben, and as much more as you want to pay. I don't set no limit to the generosity of my customers. You're sharp, said the gentleman, laughing. That's worth something. Here's twenty-five cents. You may keep the change. I'll do it cheerfully, said Ben. Thank you, sir. I hope you'll buy all your papers of me. I won't promise always to pay you more than the regular price, but you may leave Harper's and Leslie at my office every week. Here's my card. Ben took the card and put it in his pocket. He found the office to be located in Trinity Building, Broadway. I'll call every week regular, he said. That's right, my lad. Good morning. Good morning. Ben felt that he had started well. He had cleared nine cents by a sale, four representing his regular commission, while the other five cents might be regarded as a donation. Nine cents was something. But for his idea about the papers, he would have made nothing so far. It is a very good thing to have two strings to your bow, so Ben thought, though the thought did not take that precise form in his mind. He kept on his way till he reached the ferry. There was no train in on the other side, and would not be for some time, but passengers came over the ferry, and Ben placed himself where he could be seen. It was some time before he sold another paper, however, although Ben, who improved some of his spare time by looking over the pictures, was prepared to recommend them. "'What papers have you got, boy?' asked a tall, lank man whose thin lips and pinched expression gave him an outward appearance of meanness, which, by the way, did not belay his real character. Ben recited the list. "'What's the price of Harper's Weekly?' Ten cents.' Ten cents is too much to pay for any paper. I don't see how they have the face to ask it.' "'Nor I,' said Ben, "'but they don't consult me.' "'I'll give you eight cents.' "'No, you won't. Not if I know it.' "'I'd rather keep the paper for my private reading,' answered Ben.' 
Then you are at liberty to do so, said the gentleman snappishly. You'd make profit enough if you sold at eight cents. All the profit I'd make would pay for a fly's breakfast, said Ben. The gentleman deigned no response, but walked across the street in a dignified manner. Here he was accosted by a boot black, who proposed to shine his boots. He'll get him done at the wholesale price, see if he don't, thought Ben. He kept an eye on the boot black and his patron until the job was finished. Then he witnessed what appeared to be an angry dispute between the two parties. It terminated by the gentleman lifting his cane in a menacing manner. Ben afterwards gained from the boy particulars of the transaction, which may be given here in the third person. Shine your boots, asked the boot black as the gentleman reached his side of the street, just after his unsuccessful negotiations with Ben. What do you charge, he inquired. Ten cents. That's too much. It's the regular price. I can get my boots black for five cents anywhere. If you'll do it for that, you can go to work. The boy hesitated. It was half price, but he had not yet obtained a job, and he yielded. When the task was finished, his generous patron drew four cents from his pocket. I haven't got but four cents, he observed. I guess that'll do. The boy was indignant, as was natural. To work for half price and then lose one-fifth of his reduced pay was aggravating. What made it worse was that his customer was carefully dressed and bore every appearance of being a man of substance. I want another cent, he demanded. You're well enough paid, said the other, drawing on a kid glove. Four cents I consider very handsome pay for ten minutes' work. Many men do not make as much. This reasoning did not strike the little boot black as sound. He was no logician, but he felt that he had been defrauded, and that in a very mean manner. Give me my money, he screamed angrily. I'll hand you over to the authority, said the gentleman, though I hardly feel justified in calling him such, lifting his cane menacingly. What could the boy do? Might was evidently on the side of the man who had cheated him, but he was quick-witted and a characteristic mode of revenge suggested itself. The street was muddy. New York streets are occasionally in that condition. The boot black stooped down and clutched a handful of mire in his hand, fortunately having no kid gloves to soil, and before his late customer fathomed his intention, plentifully besprinkled one of the boots which he had just carefully polished. That's worth a cent, he remarked with satisfaction, escaping from the wrath of the injured party. His victim, almost speechless with rage, seemed disposed to pursue him. But the boy, regardless of the mire, had run across the street, and to follow would only be to make matters worse. If I ever catch you, I'll break every bone in your body, you little vagabond, he said in a voice almost choked by passion, shaking his cane energetically. Ben, who had witnessed the whole, burst into a hearty laugh, which drew upon his head a portion of wrath. After a pause, the victim of his own meanness turned up a side street. The reader will be glad to learn that he had to employ a second bootblack, so that he was not so much better off for his economical management after all. It may be added that he was actuated in all his dealings by the same frugality, if we may dignify it by that name. He was a large dealer in ready-made underclothing, for the making of which he paid starvation prices. But, unfortunately, the poor sewing girls whom he employed for a pittance were not so well able to defend themselves against imposition as the smart little bootblack, who knew his rights and knowing dared maintain. Chapter 22. The Heavy Valise Ben had sold half his papers when the arrival of the train from Philadelphia gave him an opportunity to return to his legitimate calling. Smash your baggage, sir? asked Ben of a dark-complexioned man of 35, who carried a moderate-sized valise. Yes, said the other. Where shall I carry it? To... Here the man hesitated and finally answered, There is no need of telling you. I will take it from you when we have got along far enough. 
Ben was about to walk beside the owner of the valise, but the latter objected to this. You needn't walk beside me, he said. Keep about a block ahead. But how will I know where to go? asked Ben naturally. You know where Broom Street runs into the Bowery? Of course I do. Go there by the shortest route. Don't trouble yourself about me. I'll follow along behind and take the valise from you there. If you get there before I do, wait for me. I suppose I'm too ragged to walk alongside of him, thought Ben. He could think of no other reason for the direction given by the other. However, Ben's pride was not very much hurt. Although he was ragged now, he did not mean to be long. The time would come, he was confident, when he could lay aside his rags and appear in a respectable dress. The valise which he carried proved to be considerably heavier than would have been imagined from its size. I wonder what's in it, thought Ben, who found it tugging away at his arms. If it's shirts, they're cast iron. Maybe they're just coming in fashion. However, he did not perplex himself much about this point. Beyond a momentary curiosity, he felt no particular interest in the contents of the valise. The way in which it affected him principally was to make him inwardly resolve to ask an extra price on account of the extra weight. After walking a while, he looked back for the owner of the valise, but he was not in sight. I might carry off his baggage, thought Ben, without his knowing it. He kept on, however, never doubting that the owner would sooner or later overtake him. If he did not care enough for the valise to do this, Ben would not be responsible. He had just shifted the heavy burden from one hand to the other when he felt himself tapped on the shoulder. Looking round, he saw that the one who had done this was a quiet-looking man of middle size, but with a keen, sharp eye. "'What's wanted?' asked Ben. "'Where did you get that valise, my lad?' asked the newcomer. "'I don't know as that's any of your business,' answered Ben, who didn't perceive the other's right to ask the question. "'Is it yours?' "'Maybe it is. Let me lift it a moment.' "'Hands off,' said Ben suspiciously. "'Don't try none of your tricks on me.' "'The other did not appear to notice this. "'I take it for granted that the valise is not yours,' he said. "'Now, tell me where you got it from.' "'There was something of authority in his manner, "'which led Ben to think that he had a warrant for asking the question, "'though he could not guess his object in doing so. "'I'm a baggage smasher,' answered Ben. "'I got this from a man that came by the Philadelphia train. "'Where is he? I guess he's behind somewheres.' "'Where are you carrying the valise?' "'Seems to me you want to know a good deal,' said Ben, "'undecided as to the right of the other to ask so many questions. "'I'll let you into a secret, my lad, but you must keep the secret. "'That valise is pretty heavy, isn't it? "'I'll bet it is. "'To the best of my information, the man who employed you is a noted burglar, "'and this valise contains his tools. "'I am a detective and am on his track. "'I received a telegram an hour ago from Philadelphia, "'informing me that he was on his way.' I got down to the wharf a little too late. Now tell me where you are to carry this. And the detective pointed to the valise. I am to meet the gentleman at the corner of Broom Street and the Bowery, said Ben. Very well, go ahead and meet him. Shall you be there, asked Ben. Never mind, go on as if I had not met you and deliver up the valise. If you're going to nab him, just wait till I've got my pay. I don't want to smash such heavy baggage for nothing. I agree to that. Moreover, if I succeed in getting hold of the fellow through your information, I don't mind paying you five dollars out of my own pocket. Very good, said Ben. I shan't mind taking it, not by no means. Go on, and don't be in too much of a hurry. I want time to lay my trap. Ben walked along leisurely in accordance with his instructions. At length, he reached the rendezvous. He found the owner of the valise already in waiting. Well, boy, he said impatiently, you took your time. I generally do, said Ben. It ain't dishonest to take my own time, is it? I've been waiting here for a quarter of an hour. I didn't know, but you'd gone to sleep somewhere on the way. 
I don't sleep much in the daytime. It don't agree with my constitution. Well, mister, I hope you'll give me something handsome. Your baggage here is thunder and heavy. There's 25 cents, said the other. 25 cents, exclaimed Ben indignantly. 25 cents for walking two miles with such a heavy load. It's worth 50. Well, you won't get 50, said the other roughly. Just get somebody else to carry your baggage next time, said Ben angrily. He looked round and saw the quiet-looking man before referred to approaching. He felt some satisfaction in knowing that his recent employer would meet with a check which he was far from anticipating. Without answering Ben, the latter took the valise and was about moving away when the quiet-looking man suddenly quickened his pace and laid his hand on his arm. The burglar, for he was really one, started and turned pale. "'What do you want?' "'You know what I want,' said the detective quietly. "'I want you.' "'What do you want me for?' demanded the other, but it was easy to see that he was nervous and alarmed. "'You know that also,' said the detective, "'but I don't mind telling you. "'You came from Philadelphia this morning, and your name is Sly Bill. "'You are a noted burglar, and I shall take you into immediate custody.' "'You're mistaken,' said Bill. "'You've got hold of the wrong man.' That will soon be seen. Have the kindness to accompany me to the station house, and I'll take a look into that valise of yours. Bill was physically a stronger man than the detective, but he succumbed at once to the tone of quiet authority with which he spoke, and prepared to follow, though by no means with alacrity. Here, my lad, said the detective, beckoning Ben, who came up. Come and see me at this place tomorrow, he continued, producing a card, and I won't forget the promise I made you. All right, said Ben. I'm in luck again, he said to himself. At this rate, it won't take me long to make fifty dollars. Smashing baggage for burglars pays pretty well. He bethought himself of his papers, of which half remained unsold. He sold some on the way back to the wharf, where, after a while, he got another job, for which, being at some distance, he was paid fifty cents. At five in the afternoon, he reported himself at the newsstand. I've sold all the papers you gave me, he said, and here's the money. I guess I can sell more tomorrow. The news dealer paid him the commission agreed upon, amounting to 18 cents. Ben, of course, retaining besides the five cents which had been paid him extra in the morning. This made his earnings for the day 98 cents, besides the dollars promised by the detective. End of section 11. Recording by Tori Falder.